It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Locked On Vikings. I am your host. I am your pal. I am the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can follow me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings, and I am very excited to be with you. This, the very first show of the official offseason. So obviously there was kind of an important football game yesterday, so we're going to talk a lot about that. We're also going to talk a little bit uh, of a follow-up on the salary cap stuff we talked about in the Thursday episode. Go listen to that. We talked a lot about the kind of strategies that teams typically use to sort of manipulate the cap without actually making their teams worse. And the Vikings have a lot of options on that. So I actually did a little back of the envelope math and we are going to go with like a, a salary cap plan for the Vikings to address the needs that they have and go into the draft in a place where they're not perfect, but they can, you know, draft the players that come to them instead of having to reach for one specific player that is at the position that they like really, really need or whatever. It gives them a little more flexibility and it all adds up. We'll go over the math and at the end, we'll have a plan that actually works out. But before we get into any of that, we do have a little bit of news to cover. Uh, So with the Super Bowl ending, that means that I'm recording this on Sunday night. So I don't know this for sure, but that probably means that uh, Zach Taylor, the quarterback's coach for the Rams, and Brian Flores, the linebacker's coach for the Patriots, will have actually shaken hands and and put pen to paper on the coaching jobs they got with uh, Cincinnati and Miami, respectively, which means that a lot more dominoes are going to fall, and they'll fall very quickly. And hopefully by the time you're reading this, uh, we will see some offensive line coach news, some special teams coach news, uh, some of the staff changes that people were kind of waiting for the Super Bowl to end to actually put into action, those will happen and the rest of the dominoes will fall. But because this hasn't happened at the time of this recording, we are going to kind of save all that stuff for tomorrow. And instead, uh, let's talk about something that happened after we posted the final show on Thursday. Kind of a, a sad, kind of a bummer to start out with, but quarterback Wade Wilson, who was a Vikings quarterback for 10 years and a Dallas Cowboys coach for like 10 years, unfortunately passed away at the age of 60 on his 60th birthday. And I think it is worth it to look at his legacy. I mean, a lot of people grew up, a lot of the kind of like Gen X age Vikings fans grew up rooting for this guy as this like fan favorite backup, took the Vikings to that 1987 championship game and brought the team into this like win now mode where they they felt like they had every single, you know, that that like 1987-88 team felt like they had every single position filled except for running back. And that's why they did the Herschel Walker trade. But the fact that that Herschel Walker trade made sense for them to do at the time or and maybe not made sense, but you know, the fact that like it spurred them to do it really speaks to how good those teams were. And, and I think Wade Wilson was a part of that. Uh, and, and as a coach, I actually think he left a bigger print on the league than, than any of us really realize. He coached Troy Aikman for a season. He went and actually gave Rex Grossman that 2006 season. He was the quarterback's coach for Rex Grossman in that, that Super Bowl run. He was the quarterback's coach for all of Tony Romo's career. So I think, you know, what, what we get from him in the booth, kind of, we have Wade Wilson to thank a little bit for that. Like he was the quarterback's coach. He has to be some portion responsible. And we also saw him, you know, take over Dak Prescott when Dak Prescott came in the league and Tony Romo was hurt. And he actually got like the best Dak Prescott season we've seen out of him in his rookie year. That is a really big footprint, right? Tony Romo had an effect on the league. You know, that, that Rex Grossman season, that it it was only one year, but it kind of showed a a blueprint for this like defensive team that, that I think teams are still kind of looking at to, for inspiration. 
And, and I think that just like those moments in history, like I don't think you could tell the story of, of the NFL in the 2000s and, and early 2010s without mentioning Tony Romo. And I think Wade Wilson by proxy like has that same place in NFL history. And I think it's worth appreciating that uh, when somebody that's very important to us as football fans passes away. So worth sparing a thought for Wade Wilson and his family and his loved ones. But moving on, uh, there is a little bit of free agency news, and we'll cover this as things go on. But, you know, it's going to be kind of a slow trickle here over the next few weeks. Uh, But it is rumored that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will not be re-signing Gerald McCoy. He plays the three-technique position, the same position that Sheldon Richardson plays. And if the Vikings were to let Sheldon Richardson go, Gerald McCoy would be an option that they might look at. It's something worth considering. Should Richardson hit free agency, he and McCoy will kind of be... Uh, competing for, you know, those those bigger contracts that people are willing to give to three-technique defensive ends. Um, but it's definitely something to watch, and saturating that market is very good for teams. So if you are in the camp of Vikings fans who just wants every player to be as cheap as possible, which I think is most Vikings fans, to be honest, this time of year, uh, then this is excellent news. Even if the Vikings don't go after him, he will saturate the market, and with higher supply comes lower prices. It's basic economics. Moving on, we have a little bit more pain bracket going on this week. This is going to be going on until it's over. This should probably take us through uh, most of February. So the pain bracket results, I'm just going to go over last week real quick. The Herschel Walker trade uh, really beat out the 2000 NFC Championship game pretty handily. Uh, The 1975 Divisional, the Drew Pearson push-off, kicked uh, Carl Kosoki's motorcycle accident out of the water. Teddy Bridgewater's injury won over the 38-7. I really did not know how that one was going to go because they were both pretty recent, pretty fresh wounds, but people voted uh, for Teddy Bridgewater's injury pretty overwhelmingly. And the Adrian Peterson situation got beat up by Blair Walsh kicking wide left, which doesn't surprise me that much because it's a pretty fresh wound, and a lot of people thought that that team was scrappy and could have really made, like, a road warrior run. Uh, so those four won last week, so we're going to do another, like, one per day here, and then we will have the second round by the end of the week completely determined. So today, we are going to vote on Super Bowl Four, the very first one, the Super Bowl versus the Chiefs. The Vikings were so heavily favored, and they ended up getting beat up in what was probably going to end up being their easiest Super Bowl opponent. You know, they had to go up against, like, the the 1973 Dolphins coming off the undefeated season, the John Madden Raiders, these historic, like, Chuck Knoll Steelers, you know, Bradshaw Steelers, uh, and, and this Chiefs team ended up probably being their best chance at winning a Super Bowl, but they fell short, uh, versus something that we all probably remember a little bit more freshly, the Metrodome collapse in 2010. And with that, I think I'll just include kind of that whole 2010 season with the high expectations off of 2009 and all the scandals, the Randy Moss thing, the Jen Sturger thing, the Metrodome collapsing, all the injuries, Brad Childress getting fired. I mean, it was just this hugely disastrous season. So the question is, which hurts more to think about? The 2010 season, uh, I think defined by the Metrodome collapse, or Super Bowl IV, uh, the first... Vikings Super Bowl loss of four in a decade, which hurts more to think about. Go ahead, check out the show notes. There will be a link to the Twitter poll. Go vote in it. Uh, can't wait to see the results. So with that, that is going to kind of conclude our housekeeping and, and updates section. Hopefully, by the time you're listening to this, there's some news that I uh, haven't heard of yet because you, uh, you, you are all from the future. And uh, we will move on. We'll talk about the Super Bowl. We'll recap the Super Bowl. Uh, on the other side of this ad break, and then uh, to wrap up the show, we'll do a little bit of of back-of-the-envelope cap calculation, so stick around. Can't wait to see you guys on the other side, and I'll see you in a minute. 
Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash LOCKEDONNBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. All right, we are back. So let's talk about that Super Bowl. It was not... Uh, nearly the caliber of exciting, thrilling, back-and-forth, explosive, high-scoring contests that we had been uh, accustomed to over the last couple years with that that Falcons comeback or blown lead, I guess, depending on how you want to look at it, in the the, uh, Patriots-Eagles game that was this, like, back-and-forth slugfest. But it was a different kind of slugfest, right? It was one of those defensive games, and and I think there are some... Everybody's going to kind of take a victory lap about it because we all have confirmation bias, and whatever your prior was, that's what you're going to point out. And over the next few weeks, a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me are going to break it down and look at, you know, the advanced stats and the All-22 and all that. And if anything really interesting pops up, we'll talk about it, especially if it's something relevant to the Vikings. But, you know, I, I didn't really have any priors going into this game, I'll be honest. You know, I did the preview and I picked the Patriots, but I didn't really feel that confident in knowing what was going to happen. And I definitely didn't see you know, the outcome where Sean McVay's offense only puts up three points. And that's going to be the story of the game, right? That Bill Belichick, the defensive-minded head coach, and and his, like, magnum opus is to take this this hot-shot young coach that looks like he has it all figured out and holds him to three points not, what, three weeks after all the teams trying to make their head coaching choices were basically, like, their first box they were looking for was, you know, do you have a connection with McVay? I mean, everybody who was hired had a connection with McVay, and it made him up to be this this god of coaching, and he goes up against the greatest of all time, and I don't even think it's disputable at this point in Bill Belichick, and he gets bamboozled, and it just happened to every coach in the league, and it was Sean McVay's turn to get blown out, uh, by Bill Belichick and his like defensive wizardry, right? And, and an excellent uh, showing for the linebackers coached by Brian Flores, who's going to go be a head coach. So I, I think it's kind of funny, you know, it was really like Sean McVay's popularity peaked when people were hiring their head coaches and it really defined those head coaching jobs. And I mean, say the Rams go, you know, six and 10 next year, which could happen, right? Anything can happen. It's a variable league. All of those people who were just like trying to poach anyone who had any connection at all with Sean McVay might look a little silly. I don't think that's going to be how things go, right? Like Sean McVay has demonstrated that he's a very good coach. He has demonstrated that when he does fail, he learns quite a bit from it. So, you know, I I don't think that like this is going to be the furthest Sean McVay goes. Like, I think he'll be, you know, back in the deep playoffs plenty over his career. Um, However, I don't know if he can do it with Jared Goff. Jared Goff is not a quarterback that I've really ever believed in. Um, and I know a lot of people don't don't agree with me there, and that's fair. I mean, he he was part of like these prolific offenses. I just think it's more scheme than it is quarterback. 
where if you look like a, at a guy like, I don't know, Drew Brees or Patrick Mahomes, like those guys are, I think, a lot more creative. Aaron Rodgers, like they're creative. They're the ones making the offenses go. And, and I think like as much of a cliche as like scheme quarterback is, Jared Goff's a scheme quarterback. He is a guy that is operating within a world that makes the world easier for him. And Bill Belichick was able to take that away, fluster him, confuse him. Uh, I think the worst throw we saw from Jared Goff was that interception to Stephon Gilmore, who I think should have been Super Bowl MVP, but that's a different thing. Uh, but, you know, that, that pick was this horribly underthrown ball. And we saw a, a confused protection for the Rams. You could actually see it. They showed on the broadcast a nice, like, end zone angle replay. So you could really see, like, the movement uh, uh, pre-snap. And I think there was a stunt in there, too. It let a, a cornerback come in freely and disrupt the time, the rhythm of Jared Goff's passing. And, and I think you hear that phrase a lot. But what it typically means, what I find it to, to mean most commonly is when there's a guy bearing down on you, you can't set your feet the way you want to. If you imagine, like, imagine a quarterback throwing a pass very cleanly and very easily. They're kind of standing with their hip, their front hip, pointed directly at where they want to land the ball, right? They're basically standing, like, perpendicular to where they want to throw it. And... If you have somebody bearing down on you, you might need to flip your hips and and stand kind of sh- like toes pointing at where you're throwing to give yourself a little bit of extra room or maybe you're backing up or whatever. And it's just kind of like bad process. It's something that young quarterbacks fall for very often. And, and I'm not surprised to see Jared Goff do it. It's a bad habit that he has. So when you do that, you can't quite get as much power. Like if you've ever played golf, it'd be like if you just only go like only swung with your arms instead of swinging with your hips and your back and kind of like all that torque you lose all your torque so you underthrow the ball it gets horribly underthrown and Stefan Gilmore picks it off and it's really a shame that that play happened right after that beautiful beautiful throw down the sideline to the same spot on the field uh and and then he was under pressure and he just kind of like let one get chunked on him for me, that play defined the Super Bowl because this was a defensively defined Super Bowl, right? This was two offenses getting beat to hell by the defenses on the other side of them. And that's not something we really saw coming. I mean, even with the Rams holding Tom Brady to 13 points is impressive, especially in a Super Bowl, which is basically home field advantage for him. Like the defense deserves credit, even though they got run on plenty. And, and I think the, the Patriots offensive line really showcased how well coached they are. And there's been a lot of talk about Dante Scarametia and how good he is. And I, I think there actually might be better opportunities in his future because of how good of an offensive line coach he is. And that was really showcased in the Super Bowl. And I really saw that uh, I, I, before the game. I called out the matchup of Brandon Cooks versus Stephon Gilmore. I thought Stephon Gilmore really limited Brandon Cooks. Um, but I also think that just schematically, they just confused it, Jared Goff, and they did a good job of getting him under pressure, and they did a really good job of making him uncomfortable, and he's just not the quality of quarterback that is going to step up in a giant game like this and and overcome all of those factors. He needs things to be a little bit easier. And here's the thing with the Rams. I think they can pull that off pretty regularly. They didn't in this Super Bowl, but I think going into the future seasons with Goff, I think they can do that a lot. But to get through the playoffs and and not face a situation where Jared Goff has to do it himself is really hard to make happen. So I'm, I'm curious to see how, how the Rams' future breaks out. Uh, and as for the Patriots, you know, as long as they have Tom Brady, they have a shot in any game. 
And the last thing I want to talk about with the Patriots is actually on the offensive side of the ball. Because while, you know, 13 points is not an offensive outing that we should really be giving a lot of credit to, I do think that there was something that happened a lot throughout the game that ended up kind of being the only production that they got. And they turned to it as often as they could, and it was like these crossing routes over the middle of the field, very often right to left, but I think they had they had success kind of always on these guys starting on one side of the formation and crossing the formation. And this really gets at kind of what people really thought was going to sink the Rams earlier in the season. And that ended up being true, though they got to the Super Bowl first, so I don't know how right that take ended up being. But it was chemistry, right? It was a lot of new players, uh, that and people were worried that they wouldn't communicate very well. And, and I saw a lot, of, especially in zone defenses, miscommunications, you know? Uh, guys being able to sit down in holes. And the reason, you know, if you, you hear them talk, I, I think Tony Romo talked a lot about Julian Edelman, like, hey, find the hole in the zone. Um, and, and he did have an amazing game, and him being the Super Bowl MVP is, I guess, justified, but I think in a defensive Super Bowl, it should have gone to a defensive player. Um, but Edelman did a great job of finding those holes in the zones, right? So if you think about a zone defense, right, everybody has a place on the field that is where they're supposed to defend, right? And it's usually defined by landmarks, right? Okay, between the hash mark and the numbers from, you know, 10 yards deep to 20 yards deep. That's my zone or whatever it happens to be. Uh, and, and so, but the problem is you are not an area. You can d- divvy up the field evenly. And if everyone's standing in the middle of their area, the, the like border between those zones is going to have people standing kind of far away from it. And that's what they mean by like finding the hole in the zone. Edelman was great at that. The thing is with a well-communicated zone, you can kind of understand that, all right, if, if somebody is on the border, he's going to get it or I'm going to get it and kind of understanding like really if it's this kind of route, whose responsibility it is and stuff. And then sometimes you get the the situation where it, like two defenders will think that the other guy is going to get it. Nobody gets it. And there's a hole in the zone. They sit down in it and it's an easy conversion. I think this happened a lot on crossing routes, which are really meant to stress zones for this reason. You have people, you know, you go from one guy's zone to the next guy's zone to the next guy's zone and they have to pass you off cleanly. And that's really hard to do and requires a lot of commitment. If you do do it right, you might be out of position to guard someone else. Now, why those crossing routes worked, you know, specifically against uh, the Rams so often is some something that will probably be broken down in more depth by somebody like Ted Wynn or, or somebody who's way better at breaking down film than me. So I will leave it to that. And that's going to do it for my Super Bowl preview. We're going to go to a quick commercial. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Cap for the rest of the show. So please stick around and I'll see you on the other end. All right, we are back. So let's talk Vikings cap. So in the last show, we talked a lot about the things that teams do, you know, restructuring contracts and what that actually entails and how it actually changes the numbers and, and you know, how to cut play or, you know, what, what happens when you cut players and how dead money works and all that stuff. Go listen to that. It's kind of a primer for this episode, which is going to be a lot more about the Viking situation specifically. So here's the deal. The Vikings are up against the cap and it stinks. Uh, according to Over the Cap, they have 6.9 million in cap space i i'm not sure if that is accounting for the like i don't know five or six ish million that you really have to allocate to rookies um but whether or not it does uh we're we're just going to act like it doesn't and if it does correct me and and you know make adjustments accordingly i would encourage you all to follow along at home because i'm going to make some decisions that you might not agree with and if you follow along at home and make changes when you disagree, I'd be very curious to see kind of where you come out in terms of the numbers. We're actually going to do this math on the back of the envelope. We're going to say, okay, here's what the Vikings have to do, and here, and that means that they need to save this much money, and then here's how they save that much money. So let's get started. So first, let's kind of go over the Vikings' needs. And this is going to be much quicker. We might have to talk a little bit more about the roster and needs, and we might dedicate a whole show to that. But very quickly, 
they have this Barr and Richardson situation. And whether or not you think that they should retain Barr and or Richardson, if they do let one of those guys go, they will need to get a linebacker and three-tech defensive tackle in here anyways that, you know, we, we will say does not... De- constitute a drop in quality. You don't want to make your team worse to save money because you can't put cap space on the field. If you want to let Anthony Barr go and you think you can get somebody back uh, at a similar value for the same price, this is if you remember I talked about this with Kyle Rudolph, I think that's possible, um, then that's fine, but you still have to, you know, get that person and maybe it's it's extending Barr at a lower price or whatever that, that lets that happen. Either way, the numbers are going to end up in a similar ballpark. So for Barr, uh, or whoever you want to sign, I think a, a top 10 linebacker, outside linebacker contract is worthy. And we, we talked in the uh, the pass rush episode about how Anthony Barr is a blitzer, but but aside from what some people want to say about him, he, has, he is not a 3-4 a outside linebacker. He's not Von Miller or Justin Houston. He's not used that way. He just doesn't pass rush that often. So the Vikings will either offer him a contract appropriate to that the the 4-3 outside linebacker and if he wants to go be a 3-4 outside linebacker elsewhere that's fine uh, and then they'll get somebody in who is a similar quality 4-3 outside linebacker whoever you think that is whatever we will just assume that they can find a guy at similar quality for a similar price and and a top 10 contract for outside linebackers which would constitute basically an average linebacker but but you know because the salary cap increases every year you're usually paying guys top 10 contracts that by the end of them aren't top 10 contracts anymore uh, all that said this adds out to about 7.5 million same thing applies to Sheldon Richardson you can either give him the contract that he deserves or give somebody else that contract if you think somebody else deserves it uh, that's about 12.5 million that's basically what Linval Joseph is slated to make in 2019. I think that's fair. Um, I think the other needs that the Vikings have to fill in free agency, and we should prepare for that, right? We shouldn't just extend the guys and be okay. We should try to go out and get the good players. Uh, The first thing is two guards. We talked a lot about two starters and a backup, right? So let's get two potentially starting guards uh, or a start or a good starter and a backup looking at other guard contracts around the league for left guard and right guard. They're not that expensive, um, in terms of like average per year, they are kind of between like two and four million. We'll we'll put a premium on. We'll say for those two guards, or maybe one guard, and you resolve to draft someone or something. We'll set aside seven million dollars for for uh, addressing the guard situation. I don't think you should pay what they are paying Mike Remmers. These like you know thirty five million dollar contracts with a bunch of guarantees or whatever. Uh, it, Mike Remmers is making six million, and I think that's too much. I think you can get two guards that help to fortify the offensive line for 7 million total. And then let's add a skill player, a wide receiver three, like, or something, uh, at a Cole Beasley price. That's 3.5 million. Might actually be Cole, Be- Cole Beasley, who who kind of seems unhappy in his situation in Dallas. I think we talked about that on a, on a recent show. Uh, but, you know, a $3.5 million skill player, whether that's like a cool move tight end or a good gadget player or a deep threat or something, you know, kind of like Aldrich Robinson, a rich man's Aldrich Robinson or something, uh, $3.5 million should be a nice level for a player who is going to ultimately be, you know, fourth fiddle to Dalvin Cook and Diggs and Thielen, but will still be a weapon in his own right. So to save you all the math, that adds up to $29.5 million. The Vikings have six point nine in cap space to start with, so we've got some work to do. The first thing that we are going to do is cut Mike Remmers and Andrew Sandejo. I think that's something that in everybody's mock offseason, they're pretty comfortable doing. Andrew Sandejo is probably a similar quality safety to Anthony Harris. They're both pretty good. 
but you, sh- you just don't need to pay two of those guys. So you can let go of Sandejo. He can probably make more money on the open market anyways. And with Mike Remmers, you're just paying too much for a guard. You can get a guard of similar quality for way cheaper. So this is the thing we were kind of talking about with like Barr and Richardson. You can cut both of those guys and save 11.8 on the cap. Now I'm using over the caps uh, average per year. Um, and, and I'm using just their 2019 numbers for like the specific players contracts. So this is not uh, worrying quite yet about 2020 or 2021. We'll, we'll, I don't, we'll probably do this episode again for those uh, when we get to that point in that off season. So we're just worrying about 2019 right now. So that's 11.8 million. Uh, now I kind of hinted toward it and I've talked about it before, but I think that you can uh, cut Kyle Rudolph and get a tight end of similar quality. I think for like 3.5 or 4 million, when I did my mock off season last week, uh, it ended up being Jesse James for five. And, and I don't think you have to spend that much for a guy of, of that quality, a guy of kind of like middling, you know, starting tight end quality. I think you can get that for about 3.5. That sort of adds up with like the tight end contracts in the league. Uh, the guys of about Kyle Rudolph's quality have been getting paid 3.54 million. So we'll go 3.5 for that. And that leaves that at 22.2 million, I think. So we still have a little bit of work to do. And this is where we start to get to some of the weird ideas. So we talked last week about the restructures where you take players with high cap hits, but low guarantees and essentially offer to fix that for them. You say, hey, we're going to pay you a little bit less. Uh, but in exchange for that, we're going to give you more guarantees and essentially make it so you can't get cut and you're not going to be forced to move, especially players with like families and kids. Uh, I'm proposing doing this with Everson Griffin. He has a $10 million cap hit and he's, he's getting older. He didn't have the season that we're used to him having. And obviously there was a mental health issue, but that in and of itself kind of lends you to be a little bit less value because it gives you a little risk. And, and while this is all very callous, we're playing a numbers game right now. And I'm I'm not really going to worry about that when we're going through this exercise. And, and I think that the Vikings and their relationship with Everson Griffin is healthy enough where they can have this conversation and, and not like alienate him or, or cause him to demand a trade or anything like that. But he has four years left on his contract. And not a lot guaranteed for that. So he might be looking for that sort of stability. I think you can get that in half. I think you can get his cap hit down to $5 million in exchange for a bunch of guarantees. And he'll be a Viking forever. He'll retire a Viking. That'll make fans really happy. That'll make him really happy. But you'll get him at a much more manageable cap hit. And if he outplays that, I don't know, put some, some not likely to be earned incentives or something in there uh, if you really need to. But I think you can get his cap hit down to $5 million. And then here is uh, what you can do to make up the rest of the money. We talked about a different kind of, of restructure, which is converting a salary to a signing bonus. Now, when I talked about that, I said, you know, I don't think the Vikings are, are likely to do this, but there's a pretty good opportunity into Deal Hunter's contract. Now, he only just signed it, but you can essentially convert his $9.9 million salary to a signing bonus. He has five years left on his deal. So so spreading that $9.9 million over those five years, which is how signing bonuses work, right? He, he gets the check in his pocket and, and, you know, he can go buy whatever he wants with it. So he's happy. And you as the team get to spread the cap hit over, like prorated over the next five years. So you can actually get his cap hit for 2019 down $7.9 million by doing this. Because uh, he's making just under ten million, and it would make him roughly seventeen, fifteen, sixteen million a year, which is the top edge rusher contracts right now. And over the next few years, he'll actually still look like a deal because he actually signed a very team friendly deal, and that gives you some room to work without it kind of being a bad look, I guess. Which you shouldn't care about, but teams ob- uh, like often do, uh, and. and 
Honestly, he's been playing like a top edge rusher anyway, so paying him as such doesn't seem that bad, and you'd be able to make his cap hit really reasonable and get all the things you need to get done going to 2019, going to 2019 with a team that, that is not worse. So that would bring you to 35.1. Our $29.5 million figure is, is clearly hurdled. We have a little bit of cushion for, for rookies and, and emergency situations. If you really wanted to do any more work, you know, you could work with like Dre Waynes' contract or the Diggs and Kendrick's extensions. You could do some work with that. But for that, I would be satisfied. And I think all of that is completely reasonable. I think all of that doesn't, like even the Daniil Hunter move, which I kind of, I, I, I hated on in last week's episode as like a kind of irresponsible short-term move. It's kind of like like racking up credit card debt. You know, it helps you in the short term, but you're screwed in the long term. And I don't think that would be the case because there's so many years left on his contract to to spread that proration out over. So you would really not be hurting yourself that bad. You'd be adding $2 million a year for five years. That's not that bad at all. Uh, to to make it so that 2019 doesn't completely fall apart. So that is going to do it for my uh, little little cap exercise for the day and my Super Bowl pre- uh, review and everything like that. Thank you all so much for listening. Can't wait to go over more of this stuff and actually talk about some, some free agents we might be going after in the coming days and weeks. But for now, that is going to do it for me. Thank you all for watching. This has been Locked on Vikings. You can find the show on uh, Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL at me. If you disagree with, with stuff or if you think I did something wrong or check, double check my math, I might've been wrong about something. Uh, but thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, skull. Hey, Locked on Minnesota listeners. This is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked on Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Lockdown Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Lockdown Wild to your device every day.